We are so excited to share today's conversation with Bryony Cole, who is a force of nature in this space. She burst onto this scene about five years ago with her Future of Sex podcast, her global speaking, and now her sex school. And what was so fascinating to me, Alyssa, was she talked about having this feeling or that young girls are taught to make themselves smaller, whether it's physically or emotionally or in terms of volume or presence. And she is the opposite of that. She walks into a room, you can't help but pay attention. She gets on the screen, you can't help but lock your eyes on her. And she is the opposite of small. She makes a statement and she, as she says, she takes up space and demands to be heard. And it really has been effective, not only for her businesses, but for the category overall to move it forward. I couldn't agree more. She's dynamic and just, to think about the comfort level that she is bringing to the world of sex tech and sexuality for women uh, all over the world is really amazing. I really, her conversation is going to resonate because I see so many patients day in and day out with sexual concerns, many of them about sexual drive or loneliness or where are they going to find their partners now during a pandemic. So I'm hoping she's going to address all of this. One of the things she does talk about a lot is the power of technology or sex tech to do one of two things. It could bring us closer together or it could send us further apart. And one of the things she said that I found fascinating is, you know, there's no replacement right now for the human touch. You know, we are using, now we're using technology, whereas I think a year ago we would have said technology separates us. In many cases, now it's our only form of connection. So we're using it to connect, but there's still something missing in a world where so many people have to spend so much time alone because of the realities of living in this time. Couldn't agree more. You know, there's an old study showing that couples that live apart and have long distance relationships have an easier time of remaining very excited about each other because, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. But this year has really been a test and trial of time away. I think talking to her about seeing, touching, feeling partners versus you know, virtual reality or uh, technology that makes you feel like you're really with somebody uh, is gonna be a super interesting conversation. Welcome to the business of the V. Hello, friends and colleagues. I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck. And I'm Rachel Braunschirl. Each week, we bring you the most fascinating investors, inventors, entrepreneurs, academics, and healthcare practitioners who are making things happen in women's sexual and reproductive health. If you are a woman, know a woman, have a business, or care about your V health and wellness, fasten your seatbelts and listen in to another informative and inspiring episode. We are so delighted to welcome our guest today, Bryony Cole, who has so many different titles um, and so many different experiences and is full of passion and personality as it relates to everything, but specifically female health. Welcome, Bryony. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks. Great to see you again. Thanks for having me. So, so, so much has happened since you started. You sort of stumbled into 
uh, sex tech, which we want to hear about. You've been referred to as a sex tech storyteller. You have a podcast. Now you have a school. How did you get here? Yeah, I know. It's been a, a bit of a stumbling journey. I don't think that stumbling ever stopped. I, I started with the podcast exploring how sex and technology were, you know, intersecting and mingling and all what I thought I was going to be talking about was robots um, when, you know, I think everyone thinks that when they think about sex and technology and soon discovered that actually it's so much more than that and it has to relate to our health and how we use technology to enhance our health or our education around sex, um, even obviously our pleasure and orgasms, but our identity and the way we express ourselves in the world. And from that podcast birth an event series, I ended up spending a couple of years just speaking on the topic and the speaker circuit in tech conferences and culture and ideas festivals. And when the pandemic hit, it kind of took on a, a new life because suddenly we were all faced with this idea that we're using technology to connect as a means of intimacy, whether it was like we are now through video or you know, maybe using technology to monitor our health um, or to be intimate you know, and using toys or those sorts of things. It was sort of in everyone's lives. And that was really interesting for me because it birthed this school where I, I you know, teach entrepreneurs how to build prototypes and launch their own businesses based on their own needs. Um, but also just looking at how much media this industry now has attracted because- We of joke, we've been 10 years, it's taken us 10 or 20 years to be an overnight sensation. I know, yeah. This overnight success thing takes, yeah, ten a decade. It's so interesting what you said about intimacy because having done a lot of work in trends in the past, we the technology was credited with removing technology, removing connectivity, removing relationships, having people um, be much more self-involved. In fact, we were doing some research on frequency of sex and one of the reasons given for what they saw was a decline in sex, which they defined as male-female penetrative intercourse, so we're talking mm -hmm. about a narrow group, mm -hmm. was because people are spending a lot of times on their phone, um, either engaging in porn or doing whatever else it is they do that's a solo exercise. But I want to go back one step further, Let's and I want to say before Future of Sex podcast, you said you stumbled onto it. So many people in this space um, identify a problem, look for a solution, don't see one, and create a solution for themselves that turns out to be applicable to a lot of other people. Your journey was a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, quite simply, no one was talking about it. You know, in a way, I'd come from a tech background. I was working in startups and I ended up at Microsoft through that journey and felt like, wow, technology is so interesting. It's It infiltrates every other part or room of the house, right? The office, um, our social lives, and it was affecting our bedroom, but of course, no one talks about sex because it's taboo. Um, so that was really where I found my thing where I was like, well, here's a need. And of course, I think anyone that stays in this industry, you have to have that personal story as well because it's such a hard industry to be in. And for me, it was you know not a traumatic thing. It was a fairly average upbringing, fairly average sex education, fairly average explanation of everything under that umbrella of sex for me that really frustrated me as a young girl and made me feel like, um, like I think most young girls do is like, I have to be small, whether that was like small in stature as soon as I develop breasts or, you know, bigger body or small in voice and not speak up in class or at university and then later on in boardrooms. And so it was this confluence for me of like, no one's talking about this and I'm actually fed up and I wanted to have a voice that 
got me there and then sort of I've got the staying power because I so believe in like future generations of young girls having to have a voice and be be taking up space and take up a ton of space and so that's sort of the passion that keeps me in the game now. I love hearing that, uh, especially since I'm a small woman, you know, uh, physically speaking. Yeah. Um, so in my practice as a gynecologist, I am always amazed at the anxiety and angst that the U.S. population places on sex. And clearly you are, you know, universal and worldly when mm. it comes to this field. So what do you think is the issue with the U.S.? Why are we so uptight about this? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I don't even know if I'd blame the U.S. because I grew up in Australia and it was kind of similar. And anywhere I go in the world to do these talks, you know, people will, they'll pack a room, but no one will ask a question because they're still so nervous. And even as grown adults, we're so nervous about talking about sex. And I think it comes back to that thing of we're so stuffed up because from um, the point of birth, like from being held as a baby, if we do anything sexual, usually the mother kind of freaks out and puts the baby down or doesn't know what to do because she's not taught what to do. And so we get these messages from such a young age that sex is wrong, is taboo, anything sexual about us is sort of something to be hidden away. And it doesn't improve from there. You know, we go to school <laughs> and no one's telling us this is a fantastic thing that you need to celebrate your body. So I think it comes back to that. You know, we could argue all the different systems, whether that's religion or government or those things that, that are keeping us like that. But it's not specific in my experience to the US. It's it's a issue. Any any office I go or any place I go in the world, you know, um, we're still getting it. But it's changing. I don't know if you're seeing this in your practice, but I feel like out of the pandemic, out of the last couple of years from Me Too and Times Up, like the conversations are opening up a little bit. You know, even the fact that I think it was a week ago Gwyneth Paltrow came out with the vibrator, right? That wouldn't have happened even five years ago when I was starting out. That was in no way was a celebrity going to have a sex toy brand or we've seen all these celebrities joining sex toy brands as creative directors or things. So I think there's these little changes often led by women that open up the conversation, which are, you know, thank goodness, so overdue. And I think part of it is also and everyone in the space uses this expression, a rising tide raises all boats. There's more of yeah. us. There's more people yes. with capital. There's more people starting businesses. There are more people who are talking about this in whatever, from whatever perspective yeah. they bring to it. And yeah. we're, if we if we make progress at some point in my life, we will stop using the word taboo and sex and orgasm and anything in the same sentence. Um, because we do have, Certainly, we each come with very different backgrounds. I've, I've yet to hear the person who said, yes, I had a wonderful, open, complete, uh, productive, you know, pre pre preparatory <laughs> sex ed that has prepared me for all mm. of life's challenges as it relates to my intimate life. You know, we're never hearing that. I, no. As I say, said no one ever. Yeah. Um, but to the extent that there's more conversation and the pandemic with all the challenges has at least given rise to this broader conversation about the complexity of women's health specifically, the challenges and options, some of which you're working with companies to create for new ways to be connected and intimate. 
Yeah, thank goodness, right? It was about time. It feels overdue. It's funny. So again, I always go back to my practice and what I see on a day-to-day basis. Mm. And again, you know, realizing what kind of community I practice in and the demographics that I deal with. But the the it's funny that with all of this tech, I've never heard about so much loneliness when it comes to intimacy ever in my practice. And I'm lucky because I think my patients are pretty open and direct with me, especially since I bring that conversation up right away. What's your thought on that? Do you think tech has a role in creating this loneliness or is it helping it? Oh, it's such a it's such a good question because it is so polarizing, right? When whenever we think about technology, I feel like I hear either people's hopes or it releases all these fears and we're headed for this dystopia where technology is evil and gonna replace us. And I think um, it does both is is really the answer is like, it's never gonna be um, the utopia that we wish, but it does a good job of connecting people, but it's the humans that we so crave, right? And and I think that idea of rip and replace and technology is gonna, you know, we're gonna all end up with, you know, robot girlfriends and robot boyfriends is kind <laughs> of, really far-fetched and thinking about well, actually how can it serve intimacy and where are the gaps so technology is good for connecting us like this and having conversations but it's not good at rep- replicating touch right now you know and that's something that i think through the pandemic has become so obvious in therapy rooms right where this this notion of skin hunger where yeah. we're, we're so starved of touch like sure you, you and i can chat on zoom for hours but what i want at the end of the day is a hug and talking to sex therapists about, um, you know, the activities that they're suggesting, like giving yourself a hug, which, okay, it sounds ridiculous when you first hear it, but the, you know, the science behind it and how it releases these emotions of just the, the feeling of being held. Like that's something that, although in Japan at the moment, Gifu University created a robotic hand in the last couple of months, I don't know if you've seen this. Um, It's a hand that warms and it grips and it's just a hand. So it's kind of not as freaky as a full person or a doll, but out of this pandemic was like, people are really missing touch and can technology provide that sort of touch and intimacy or does it completely strip us of our humanity? And those questions are so interesting because we just don't know. And I think everyone just goes, no way, but, right now for the everyday person we still need to be hugged by people and i remember talking to a sex therapist about skin hunger and she was saying you know what i do is i recommend people go out for a walk without their headphones without their smartphone and just look people in the eye which again sounds ridiculous and freaky but like that sort of thing we're missing is that humanity that intimacy brings and that basic human connection and i do believe the skin hunger when we come out of this, if and when we come out of this in whatever form it is, you know, the mental health issues that different groups Mm -hmm. of people will be experiencing, I think will be incredible. You know, I've spoken Mm -hmm. to a number of doctors who are um, treating women in menopause and they say, you know, the thing they're most concerned about for whether it's whatever stage of life you're in, people living alone is that that loneliness becomes almost palpable. Yes. I mean, I'm alone right now and I've seen one person in like three weeks and it's very strange. It's, it's very, very strange. Strange now, but you know, it's strange to think about socializing. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that, you know? So, so. We've, we've had these conversations in my family, you know, what's the first thing you 
you're going to do when or if or you know where are you going to go are you running naked through Times Square and you know most of the answers are just so basic you just want to hug the people that you love yeah yeah I'm curious what do you think is next in the video dating world or in the app you know dating world whether it's based on this pandemic or otherwise what's new coming down the pike other than women being able to be the initiators So here's today's hot flash. Take a guess how many femtech companies there are out there. Per femtech focus, as of March 1st of this year, 2021, globally, there are 586 companies focused on femtech. This is astonishing. Well, so it's interesting. So I think the video dating is now the new norm. That's not going away. So people have become really sort of dexterous in digital flirting, right? And virtual flirting, FaceTime dates before you meet up in person. Those things are sort of the new norm. And talking about this idea of like women initiating the contact, what's become a real problem and really obvious online and offline, but I think online's exacerbated it, is sexual harassment around these digital platforms. And so there's interesting innovations there. There's one called Ghostbot, which, um, you know, for, I think it's like one out of every six women experiences sexual harassment um, through dating, right? And I think it's one out of six, it could be five out of six, whatever it is. You know, like it's a, it's one of those stats that we all go, yeah, because we all know someone or we've all had it if we've been dating before. So Ghostbot is a thing that enables you, you can plug it into your phone and it, um, it ghosts. So it lets go of someone that uh, you don't have to do the emotional labor with that may have a text exchange that may have turned unsavory, you know, through the course of the thing. Maybe it's a dick pic, maybe it's someone that's really pressing you to meet up. And there is a certain level of work and emotion that goes into letting that person go gently rather than that risk of them turning violent, which violence in digital spaces can be and can feel as violating as as in person. So um, these sort of innovations are interesting where people are going, well, how do we combat this kind of new problem we have with apps, which is it just turns awful and it turns us off. Well, then they add an extension onto it and then you go, okay, ghost bot, do your thing. And it, you know, goes off and has this emotionally intelligent conversation with this person. So those sorts of things are coming. I think people are really struggling also with doing more digital dates, you know, virtual dating that back to Rachel's point, like, oh my God, I just want to touch a person or see a person. And I think there's going to be this movement back to, you know, matchmaking and you know almost outsourcing that swipe and everything to someone that can really know you in that level of like customization personalization that seems really hot anyway in tech that is an amazing idea i you know i always go back to the uh um smells like people are so sensitive to smells so right. and and you know there's a role for pheromones with uh, yeah. uh attraction of course so i just you know, notice that that's missing in the video dating world, but I guess it takes hold once you uh, get through your first video date. Um, I have to ask, so again, in my practice, the biggest complaint and the most complex thing that I have to manage uh, um, is somebody who likes to get involved with the sexual health of my patients is libido. 
So mm-hmm. libido, you know, is a, it's a huge complaint. There's so many variables that go into this. Yeah. And, you know, of course, if it's a relationship problem, like that's just off base for me, that's right. mental health uh, field. And I, and I happily refer those people out, but what, is what's coming down the pipe to spark up the libido for, let's just say women, because I'm a gynecologist, who maybe are very happy, but they've been in a 30-year relationship, so they feel a little bored or like they're in a rut. Or for maybe the person who, you know, isn't that thrilled with their weight or their appearance, so their sexual self-esteem is a little altered. What's coming down the tech pipe for these types of things? Yeah, so I think the first thing is that education is better around libido now too, and thinking in, in understanding for people that libido and sex drive just fluctuate over the course of your life, over the course of months, weeks, even a a night, right? And so that I think we're getting more education and that's not an advanced technology, but it may be (laughs) delivered by, you know, Instagram. But I think there's a more of a normalization now for people which is accessible, you know, going on Instagram and realizing this is not a me issue, there's not something wrong with me. But in terms of like spicing up um, your relationship, you know, I think that there's really fun stuff like the audio erotica tools we've seen like Dipsy and Quinn and things that are more geared towards women because they're oral and not visual and things that tend to arouse women. We take a bit longer usually right to to warm up to those sorts of things and different ways and recognizing yeah it's not just porn or it's not just straight through it like foreplay is so important and to the the educational point around libido i think apps like lover and furly that are like educational apps for adults right around around this sort of stuff how do i talk to my partner about sex drive how do i improve my sex drive are actually making a difference too i mean they're not the the most far out thing. It's really just videos inside an app, but for some reason it really resonates because it's so private. You know, our smartphones essentially another limb at this point. Um, having that on your phone, I think helps. And then I'm trying to think of like some really fun far out ones because one thing I know is Love Honey did this survey over the first four months of lockdown. I don't know if you know it, and it had yeah. 54% of couples became more sexually adventurous during uh, quarantine and everyone's like, well, what was everyone doing? You know, how are they becoming more adventurous? And look, the media will report 600% increase in sex toys. So people were definitely buying toys. I think they were buying teledildonics, you know, and connecting apps, even in different rooms. But, um, you know, I think people were just hungry to try something different and imagination is like, well, you can definitely find ideas on the internet. Well, going back to the same side, you know, different sides of the same coin, does it create intimacy? Does it interfere with intimacy? We heard from just as many people that when you ask them how their behavior had changed, you right. know, Love Honey survey said 54% were having more. There was a whole large group of people who were having way less because yep. the anxiety, whether it was emotional or financial or you know, physical yeah. distance, were having a lot less. So just like anything else in intimacy, there's a wide range. So I want to go from, you came up with this idea. You said, there's no conversation. I'm going to create this podcast, Future of Sex. You exploded and talked around the world. (laughs) And then you said, okay, my next gig, in addition to all this, is I'm going to start a school for entrepreneurs (laughs) in sex tech. So how did that start? And where are you? How many classes have you had? How many semesters have there been? And what are you learning from the companies that you bring in? 
Yeah, so I started that honestly because people were were messaging me going, how do I get started in sex tech? And I'd seen so many innovations and I'd also run hackathons, these weekend long innovation jams around around the world um, and realized so many people have great ideas because of the shitty experiences that they've had, whether that was painful sex or, you know, unfortunately like assault harassment. And um, the issue was they didn't know how to get started because you can't really Google that much around sex tech getting started. And they, um, yeah, they just were like, well, where do I go? And so that birthed this school where I thought, well, I've got five years now. I know where the community is. I know the sort of ins and outs and the quirks of building brand in the space. And from my background in tech and doing business modeling, I brought that into the school. And so that started in June last year as a test cohort to say, look, all these people have sent me emails. Let's see if they show up. Um, and let's see what they've got. And we had entrepreneurs, we had people that just were sick, you know, mid-career and were like, I'm sick of what I'm doing. I want to change. I want something more meaningful. And, you know, it was majority women, surprise, surprise, um, that, that showed up and built these businesses that changed their careers and worked on prototypes um, to, to launch, you know, whether that was a sexting app, whether that was like a smart strap on, there were, you know, DIY vibrator workshops. There was so many interesting, exciting ideas that I felt like they just needed a bit of encouragement, a bit of industry knowledge, and also the resources to know where to look for capital, because it is so hard, right? In this industry to try and raise money from a bunch of dudes and talking about vaginas, it's like, well, here's what you need to, to know <laughs> to try and get that molar. Um, so now we've done four cohorts. It's been incredible. We've had people from all over the world join from Brazil to Hong Kong. And I'm about to relaunch in April with a much bigger cohort and a lot more guest speakers. Perhaps I'll try and convince you two to come on as guest speakers um, and, and teach them a thing or two. And also it's about building community, which we know is so important in this industry when you're brave enough to do something that is a risk and it comes with a lot of strange faces from family or friends or even partners going, what the hell are you doing? You need that support network that are going and cheering you on and going, keep going. Um, so Absolutely. And there's so many, I mean, you've been part of this. I've been part of this. There's yeah. so many organizations now focused on this space. But one of the things that continues to please me mm. is how generous and collaborative the people in this space are. Yeah. You know, don't have the same battle scars that I do. Here's what went wrong for me. Yeah. Try this. And, you know, you'll still hit some road bumps, but hopefully they'll be smaller and less painful and shorter in terms of getting from, from here to there. Yeah. It's such a unique industry in that way. I feel like it's also just, um, you know, the, the quality, I think of bringing a lot of women together in a space where we've felt very small for a while, um, building, you know, building something and also crashing through some pretty big walls together is really exciting. And, um, yeah, I would agree. Like companies that previously in other industries we consider were competitors to sex toy brands, you know, or two vibrator companies banding together. We've seen this with, you know, Damon Unbound organizing Absolutely. protests and stuff. It is really unique in that way and really special to be a part of. I was telling Alyssa today that I, that the protest that I went to that, um, that I think you organized or maybe Dame and Unbound organized. Uh, yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. That, yeah, that was so my, you know, I've been in women's health uh, for a long time. And that was the first time I've ever been at a protest, but it was amazing yeah. to see 
you know, the shapes and sizes, the yeah. geographies, the age ranges, the, um, you know, the, the genders represented. It was really mm. an unbelievable intersection of all the people who want to have a voice in this space. So yeah. this is a hard question, I'm sure, oh. to answer. But, you know, with your soothsayer future of sex viewpoint, <laughs> looking out in the next couple of years, are there a couple of trends or areas that you think will explode or yeah. explode even more than they have during COVID? Yeah, I mean, right now we're seeing this area around women's sexual health branded as wellness, which is great, I think, yep. um, which is exploding right now. Behind that, I think, comes a whole lot of interesting little subcultures, subsets that have previously been invisible, marginalised, ignored. Good example of that is the disabled community. Yeah. Where, you know, handy, we've seen a, a new prototype for a sex toy designed by disabled people for the disabled community, specifically with hand limitations that, you know, they can't touch themselves. A sex toy is going to be of no use. So I think that's a really exciting and untapped market. Previously, communities like that, that, that had weak hands that suffered from that would have to hire a sex worker, which gets expensive, complicated, depending on what country you're in, or they go without, which sounds really crappy. Um, another example of that is I think, um, the VDOM, I don't know if you've, you've seen this smart wearable um, prosthetic that um, for lesbians, even paraplegics or people suffering from premature ejaculation, um, wearing a prosthetic is kind of amazing where, you know, usually if they wanted to have sex, they'd, they'd have a sex toy, but to move about in the world and feel that, they'd still have to wear a sex toy, which is like, I'm wearing a device designed for <laughs> orgasm, you know, as I get on the subway or go about my grocery shopping doesn't really give you that sense of sexual expression that, that you're so craving. So I think that that's also really exciting. So I think in the wake of all these trailblazing women of sex tech that have created these companies is all these other really interesting um, communities that have been ignored too, that now are sort of rising up. And of course, behind that, we need to s stop the stigma around men using sex toys too. And what celebrity is going to come out? We need to nominate a celebrity to come out and talk about male masturbation as a healthy, important practice for their sexual wellness too. Uh, I think that's got a little ways to go. <laughs> it, feels like, it feels like at the last of the line. <laughs> Uh, so I, I want to uh, wrap this up, but I am sort of curious, what is either the wildest or the most impactful device that you have come across in your, uh, in your travels? Yeah, you know, like I hate to be cliche, but I think I think it has to come down to sex robots, right? And I was traveling with Harmony AI, which is a robot slash doll, originally a doll, now a robot that comes with an app and has literally has technology inside her head. And so we did this talk with Harmony and we took her to, um, I think it was Romania, Lithuania, and we had her on stage and it was just totally bizarre to me. She, we took her heads on the plane in a briefcase and, you know, the, the, the heads came in. I was like, oh my God, this is actually real. And then talking to her and interviewing her, which was incredibly clunky and like, it was like, whew, uh, you know, she, she got fired up and her eyes opened and she moved around and I had that moment where I was like, oh my God, this is the future. And then you know, <laughs> she, she stuttered and, and, you know, couldn't, couldn't string a sentence together. I'm like, oh, we're good. We're good. Um, but that was one of those surreal moments where it was like facing what 
initially I thought was the future of sex and was a wild experience. Whereas honestly today, when we think about all this technology that we're using, it's often not that sophisticated or complex, right? It's, it's really simple stuff that is actually making the most impact. Uh, I will be have a lot more to talk about in about a year, I would imagine. Yes. Very interesting. It's been a pleasure. Thank you yeah. so much for joining us. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, subscribe to our podcast at businessofthev.com for the latest trends and trendsetters in women's health and business.